What's up, guys? Rachel Lindsay here, and I am teaming up with your favorite Ringer podcasters to deliver the Bravo drama and news that you've been craving on Morally Corrupt. It's the show about all things Bravo, from the housewives to summer house and everything in between. We'll be mentioning it all every week. Check it out on Spotify and theringer.com. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote versus the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote, once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Calista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com FYC. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. All right, it is Monday, May 16th. I am in New York City. How are you doing, Craig? Uh, I am here for the TV upfronts. The what? The television upfront. Sorry, I will explain. This is the <laughs> week of the year when all of the television networks bring their wares to New York City, show them in front of the advertising community, get billions of dollars in ad commitments for the next TV season, and then everyone has a steak dinner and flies home to LA happy that they've done their jobs for the year. So this is mainly, is this like streaming as well as like broadcast? What is this? Yeah, I mean, basically, it used to be where, you know, the big four networks would come and do a big splashy presentation. There'd be a carnival or, you know, Miley Cyrus would show up, although she's still showing up. And then they would uh, they would only do them for the one single network. But now it's like company by company. So you get one for all of NBC Universal, which includes NBC and Bravo. It's kind of sad, to be honest. Like, this is... The heyday of broadcast television is long gone, but we're in this weird period where they're still buying billions of dollars worth of ads for these shows that come and go every year. I mean, like last week was the, you know, the carnage week where they cancel all the shows that nobody watches from the previous year. So I'm going to do a little game here. I'm going to quiz you. I'm going to say the name of a show that was recently canceled that's on one of the big five networks currently. And I'm also going to throw in one or two fake ones. And you have to tell me what's real and whether you've heard of it. And then you have to tell me which one's fake. Are right, you got it? Yep. All right. The 4400. Never heard of it. But is it real? Mm, yeah. I'm going to say, I don't think you're starting off with a lie. I'm going to say it's real. Uh, it is real. It was canceled by the CW. Oh. Be positive. I have heard of that. Thomas Middleditch, the guy from Silicon Valley. I don't know what network it's on, but that's real. It is, or it was on CBS. Unfortunately, it's been canceled. Hmm. Um, the Big Popularity Club. <laughs> that sounds fake. It's fake. Okay. I just I just made it up. I was looking on some other website at another good, show that was similar. All right. Um, good Sam. Never heard of it. Sounds fake. Real. Canceled. CBS. How we roll. Never heard of it. Sounds real and cheesy. It it was real. Unfortunately, it's been canceled. All right. I'm getting a little tired of the game. I'm just gonna roll through these and see if you've heard of them. In the dark. No. Keenan. Well, oh, Keenan Thompson. That's sad. Yes, that is sad. R.I.P. Keenan's sitcom. Legacies. Nope. Magnum P.I. Well, yeah, reboot. The reboot. The reboot. Mr. Mayor. 
Yeah, Ted Danson. That one I actually watched a little bit. So that's it. Naomi. No. Our Kind of People. Nope. Pivoting. Nope. Roswell, New Mexico. That's the title of the show? No. Oh, United- Roswell. Is it about like aliens? I think it must have been a reboot of that, right? I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Uh, United States of Al. Oh, I have heard of that. I think that was a Chuck Lorre show. Um, mm-hmm. I don't, I, I never watched it, but yeah. So RIP, all of those shows that you've never heard of and some that you've barely heard of. All right. So I'm going to have Lucas Shaw on today, our usual Monday morning guest. And we're going to talk a little bit about the regular linear TV business. We talk a lot about streaming on this show, but there is still a regular old fashioned TV business and why that still kind of matters a little bit or does it? We're going to get into that with Lucas. I'm Matt Bellany and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Lucas Shaw from Bloomberg, and we are both in New York. We are not together. We are separate in New York, and uh, we are here for the television upfront, which is going on all week. And the big thing that I think people are talking about, besides the fact that everyone has COVID and things are getting canceled or scaled down, is the fact that broadcast TV still can generate billions of dollars. That's the crazy thing is like, I don't know anyone who watches shows on broadcast. I know a lot of people who watch sports on broadcast. But if you look at companies like NBC Universal or Warner Brothers Discovery or Disney or Fox, they're still generating billions and billions of dollars via 30-second spots that air over linear television. Why is that? Limited opportunities to reach people at scale. I mean, it's the same, re- it's the same reason that sports TV is the the single most lucrative property in in media because you can advertise in a basketball game, advertise in a football game and reach millions of people at the same time. And even though the audience for broadcast TV has gone down considerably over the years and goes down every single year, you still have 3 million, 4 million, 5 million, 6 million people watching a show at any given time. And that's valuable for advertisers who want to sell a certain product or want to, especially who want to generate awareness. They're not sure it's going to convert into a, a, you know, some sale or some transaction. Um, but there, there are just very few places you can do it. You think about YouTube, which is kind of the biggest advertiser for video online, and people are watching it at totally different times. They're watching all sorts of different genres, whereas they know that if they advertise at, on CBS on a Monday, they're going to get to 6 million people. Yeah, and if you advertise on YouTube, you don't know if your ad is going to be opposite some QAnon video or some you know content you don't agree with or something like that. At least with the broadcast networks, you know they have standards. But it is this question of scarcity because gone are the days when you know ER or Friends could aggregate 25 million people on a Thursday night. And that's when it seemed like the ad dollars were worth it. But now you look at these top shows. I mean, Craig and I were looking at the top shows of 2021. And even, you know, after you go through football and, you know, the Olympics and NCAA, March Madness, you get into like NCIS and The Equalizer and FBI. These are shows that are getting eight, nine, 10 million viewers for like their most viewed episodes. That is a fraction of what they're getting. Yet the marginal cost is going up to reach these people. At what point, is it not worth it? I've been waiting for it to break for a long time because the audiences have gone down so much. And you've seen 
that the total amount of money spent on TV has finally leveled off, right? So there's you don't have the numbers somehow going up as the audiences are going down. But there's just so much inertia inside these advertising companies and so much confusion. You know, you brought up you brought up QAnon. There's a even though the the advertising dollars that companies like Google and Facebook and are make is is going up, there is still a certain anxiety about it. And those advertisers are advertising for different purposes, right? So you go to, to YouTube or Facebook because you're targeting someone with a very specific interest. You have historically advertised on TV because you want to reach sort of the, the general consumer. And it, we live in a society now where that, that doesn't really exist in any world, right? There's no mass culture. And so TV is sort of the kind of the, in this dying stage of it. Uh, but I don't think they know what else to do. They have to spend money. They, they have these companies that want to spend money advertising to reach people. And so they're still going to do it until someone offers them a, a better alternative. Yeah. And if you're Procter & Gamble and you've got the absolute base lowest common denominator person as your you know target audience, why not throw it out there in this medium that does get to everyone? Because the, the opposite here is the precision targeting that you mentioned. Like It just seems like these digital outlets with their algorithms are so much better at connecting with the consumer. I mean, I was at a dinner the other night where a producer was telling me about the Chippendales Rescue Rangers movie that he produced and how great it was and it was going to be a big hit. Lo and behold, the next day I looked at my Instagram, what was the first ad that popped up? Chippendales Rescue Rangers. Probably not something that would have popped up otherwise if he had not said that to me. And television cannot replicate that. It just seems like the value is so much higher in targeted advertising than it is in these old school, you know, 30 second spots you see on TV that most of us flip through anyways. But but do you think that those ads work? I mean, I don't know. When I call and order a pizza, the first thing that I see when I look at my Instagram after I have called to order the pizza is a DiGiorno ad. And it says, get DiGiorno instead. That's got to work somewhat, right? Except that it's always following what you've just done. I'll, I'll buy a pair of shoes and I'll get ads for that same shoemaker for months. But I already bought the pair of shoes. Right. Months, so I don't actually need that anymore. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Listen, people smarter than us do the breakdowns of what works and what doesn't. And I agree with you. I think that that there is so much inertia in this business. I mean, the fact that they're still even doing an upfront the fact that pilot season still exists in Hollywood as a thing. I mean, back in the day, you would have hundreds and hundreds of potential shows that would get winnowed down over the winter and spring, and then they would unveil them this week as the new fall schedule. We saw Fox didn't even commit to a fall schedule this year. They're just announcing shows. There's no such thing. I mean, the, the whole the whole enterprise exists because the the car companies would release their new models in the fall. That's how we got the fall upfront, the fall schedule. But now it's such a year-round proposition and we've got 500 and something shows debuting at all times on all platforms. It doesn't make sense to do this, yet it's still happening. And yet it feels like it's not going anywhere because if you look across the, the landscape, NBC Universal, Comcast, during its presentation today, spent a lot of time talking about Peacock, which is the streaming substitute for these cable networks that are going down. I'm sure that that throughout the week, you'll have Disney 
talking about advertising in Hulu, and you'll probably have them maybe teasing that ads will come to, to Disney Plus later this year. You'll have Paramount talking about Paramount Plus. You have YouTube, which used to be kind of relegated to the new fronts, has joined the week of upfronts. And who knows, maybe a year or two from now, you'll even have Netflix participating in it. Yeah, the head of NBC Universal's ad group talked a little shit about Netflix today. She said, you can trust us. We're not some new startup or adolescent ad tech company or the latest messy merger. So she's basically saying, you know, we are NBC Universal. We've been selling ads for decades. We're not, you know, Netflix trying to get in in this business. And we're not Warner Brothers Discovery, which is just a mashup of a bunch of different companies. Although, of course, NBC Universal you can tell by the name is a mashup of two companies, well, but and she, Linda Yaccarino, who's the, the I assume the executive that you're talking about, yes. has has used this line to try to go after YouTube and Facebook in the past when they've had these brand safety scandals. And guess whose advertising sales have grown more quickly over the last few years? YouTube and Facebook, or NBC Universal? It's right. YouTube and Facebook. Yeah, I mean Fox also. Fox did a presentation today where they integrated Fox News more heavily into their presentation than they ever have. Although they did a kind of laundering effort because Fox News obviously has advertising problems because many brands do not want to be opposite that kind of incendiary content. And they're positioning it as full news. We have Democrats watching. They made no mention of Tucker Carlson, no mention of Hannity, no mention of Laura Ingram. It's all about, you know, we are the number one news network and they're trying they talk to talk about. Did they, did they talk about the My Pillow guy? Did they give My Pillow a shout out? They, I did not. I do not believe they did. Um, it was a pre-recorded presentation, so they did not have an opportunity for questions. But, uh, but the, yeah, that's the thing. Is they're they're trying. You know, the, the the thing about these big conglomerates is they're now selling across portfolios of networks. So they have that scale where they can say, you know what, we may not be Facebook, but we are. NBC Universal or Disney, and we can sell across all different demos. We may not be able to target people specifically based on their behavior, but we have a network targeted towards women. We have a network targeted towards young men. We have a network that can get you the Bravo demo. So I think that you know the overall kind of comparison is a lot better for these companies than it used to be. They used to be completely flat-footed. They didn't have digital products. They didn't have any of these other things that they could say. Now, if you look at a company like NBC Universal, they do have a lot. Although most of the presentations focused a lot about making fun of Peacock. Yeah, I mean, what, there's a lot to make fun of. I saw they Poor Peacock. A, they, they sent out a release of all the shows on, on Peacock earlier today, and I, I looked at the list, and I write about and watch a lot of television. And I had not heard of the majority of the shows. But that's probably true across the networks. No, no, no shade to Peacock. I mean, if, if Netflix gave me a list of the 800 titles they released in a year, or whatever the number is now, I, I probably wouldn't have heard of most of them either. Well, you and Craig, next we'll do a quiz for you on whether you've heard of a show or not. Um, all right, we will talk to you again soon. Thank you, Lucas. Thanks, Matt. All right, we are back with the call sheet. Craig, I'm going to do a little victory lap. On Thursday, I predicted that the second weekend drop for Doctor Strange 2 would be about 70% because I didn't think people were into this one. And it was a little weird for a Marvel movie and a little bit scary for little kids. And lo and behold, 68% drop in the second weekend. You know what's funny about that is on the Rewatchables, which I produced, uh, the episode coming out tonight is on E.T. And when discussing E.T., we learned that in the eighth week 
of E.T. being in theaters, it made more money than in week one. Yeah, but that was the early 80s. That was like the, the movie business until like 20 years ago. It was in theaters for a full year. It's hilarious. I mean, people talk about the new Top Gun coming out. The original Top Gun, I remember when it came out, I was just quite old enough to remember. And I remember it was one of those movies where I wasn't allowed to see it for like the first month or two. It was in theaters. And then finally, my parents relented and let me see it. And that, me that means it must have been in theaters for months. Because yeah. it was like one of those things you pass the theater on the way to school every day. And you're like, can I see it now? Can I see it now? <laughs> So now, that does not mean that Doctor Strange is not making money. Of course, it is. It's up to, I believe, $700 million worldwide at this point and going to probably get a couple hundred million more. But I will take my, my, my wins when I can get them. Um, but today's prediction, today with the Cannes Film Festival starting tomorrow, that is the largest and considered the most prestigious film festival in the world. Uh, I am making a bold prediction that the number of film festivals is going to dramatically decrease over the next two to three years. It's just not a sustainable thing. There are literally hundreds of film festivals around the world, including many where there's a lot of business done in the entertainment world. Like the film festival markets are where you see a lot of these, you know, uh, festival awards type movies starting their run. And I just don't see a reason for most people to go when you can do all this business at home now and people have been doing it for the past two years. Question for you. How does the bidding work with that? So if Apple goes to Sundance and watches Coda, do they just watch the film and then Tim Cook says, hey, 10 million, and they just start the bidding there? How does that work? It depends. A lot of times the, the distributor will see the movie in advance. So like if you are a sales agent, and you have a hot film that you know is going to generate multiple bids, you may slip it to some of the potential mm. buyers beforehand and get them excited about it. Or if you think it was the kind of thing where an audience would benefit, would help the movie, like in the old days, you would bring it to Sundance, you'd show it in front of a packed audience of film lovers, and the you know euphoria surrounding that screening would really help you sell the movie and get a bidding war going. But now these days, like, what is a film festival? You know, we haven't really had them for the past two years. Most of these films are going to end up on streaming anyways. You don't really need to judge a theater if you're going to put it on Apple TV+. Plus. So, you know, the Coda sale, which you mentioned, that was a $25 million check that Apple wrote for that movie. They did it at a virtual film festival in 2021. No crowd. It was virtual. So they looked at that movie and said, we think this is a giant hit, having not seen it with the theater. So I just I just think the the general ecosystem of film festivals is going to dramatically decline over the next few years, and I think you're already seeing it this year with Cannes. I know a lot fewer people that are making that schlep all the way to to uh, France for this thing. Are they allowing people to watch the films virtually? Uh, you know, Cannes is not, but many of the film festivals are doing hybrids. Like Sundance has said that they're going to still do a hybrid next year. I believe Toronto which is another big one, is going to do a hybrid. Um, Cannes is sort of the outlier. They're very finicky there. It's got They've got the French snootiness. And it's still considered a giant launch pad for some of these movies. Like Top Gun is going to screen there. The Elvis movie is going to screen there. And they do that because they want worldwide press to pay attention to it. And like all the images of Tom Cruise walking the red carpet. And th that's still a, a big deal for these film festivals. But the general day-to-day -day market, the thing that, that kind of fuels these festivals, 
that is all being done at home or on Zooms. So I just don't see that that long term, you know, the whole the whole idea of the film festival boondoggle where everybody goes and does their business on the yacht. And, you know, there will still be some of that because there's always going to be billionaires that want to hang out on their yachts. But I just don't see the the level, the volume that we've seen in the past. And that's going to lead to some of these festivals just going away. The pandemic probably accelerated all of this, right? Oh, this it's it's completely dependent on the pandemic because we saw that you didn't need it. You could have a major sale to a company like Apple without a giant screening at a film festival that got the crowd all excited. Right. All right. That is it. I want to thank Lucas Shaw for joining us from Bloomberg. I want to thank producer Craig Horbeck, and I want to thank you. We will see you on Wednesday. 